Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Hey friends, because I know so many of us are experiencing a heightened sense of pain at the moment, I'd like to talk about what we do with our pain, because so often in the Bible, pain and prayer go together. In fact, more often than not, when we see people in the Bible pray, they don't come before God all dignified and refined and calm, but often just the opposite is their emotional state. People come before God emotional and tearful and honest. And there's a very specific word for this type of prayer. It's called the prayer of lament. I want to talk about this particular type of prayer called lament in today's episode because as a culture, I'm not sure we always know what to do with our negative and dark emotions. And what I observe is that we tend to do one of two things. Option A, we stuff our emotions. We ignore what we feel or we numb what we feel or we pretend that what we feel doesn't exist. Or option B, we become enslaved to our emotions, granting them perhaps a little too much reality, not content to merely feel what we feel. We identify with what we feel and we cling to what we feel and our sense of self becomes fused with what we feel. And given how subjective and random our feelings can be, I'm not sure it's wise to let our feelings call all the shots or even most of the shots. And so stuffing our feelings, I'm not sure this is the way of Christ or a very good option for us, but then venting our feelings, this also has diminishing returns and far too often can leave us playing the victim card. And so what I think we need right now is a middle way, a biblical way through these two options. The great task at the moment isn't to stuff our feelings or to vent all our feelings, but rather to pray our feelings, especially the dark emotions. C.S. Lewis once said that in prayer, we don't bring before God what we think ought to be in us, but rather we bring before God what actually is inside of us, and that includes all the darkness. And so with that in mind, I want to look at one of the most courageous women in Scripture, someone from whom I've learned a ton about what authentic prayer looks like, and that's Hannah. A reading from 1 Samuel chapter 1. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Penina, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. 
After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. Here ends the reading. So just a little background. There is one husband, Elkanah, and he has two wives, Penina and Hannah. Penina has lots of babies, and Hannah is barren. And so the first thing I just want us to see is the depth of Hannah's pain. Our reading says Hannah is irritated, but the Hebrew word literally means to thunder or roar as in a storm. The point being made is that Hannah is as torn up in her soul as the sea is in the midst of a hurricane. Now, even today, there is great pain and disappointment that comes with not being able to conceive a child. But in Hannah's world, a family's prospect was completely tied to the number of children they had. Children meant income, status, and security. And that's why women who bore lots of children were considered heroes, and barren women like Hannah were considered failures. You see, Hannah felt useless because her culture said, if you don't have children, you are nothing. And because that is the worst thing a person can feel, Hannah's soul thundered with pain. Now, I don't know what you're feeling at the moment, but I know a lot of people do feel useless. Maybe you can't work or can't care for your parents the way you want to, or maybe you work a full-time job, homeschool your kids, and keep up with the house all at the same time, and you don't feel like you're doing a great job. Maybe you so badly want to help people right now, but you literally can't as you shelter in place. You see, at some point, we've all felt useless or been told that we are useless, if not by an actual person, then perhaps by our culture or by our own inner critic, that nagging voice within that accuses us of not doing enough or being enough. And what I love about Hannah, the reason I'd call her a hero, is that this is one pain she will not stand for. Our reading from 1 Samuel tells us that Hannah rose, but the Hebrew word is implying more. The Hebrew doesn't just mean that Hannah stood up. The meaning of the Hebrew is that Hannah took a stand. Hannah took a stand against letting her culture define her worth, and she decides to turn to the Lord. In other words, what Hannah does is the ultimate act of faith. She takes the mess her life is at the moment, and she decides to resolve it in prayer. 
And notice how emotional Hannah's prayer is, how honest. The high priest Eli, he had never seen anything like it. He thought Hannah was drunk, but she's not drunk. In Hannah's own words, she's pouring out her soul before the Lord. I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. I think this is the middle way we've been looking for. We don't stuff our emotions and we don't just vent them. No, we pour out what we are feeling before God. Or to put it differently, we pour what we're feeling in to God's reality. And so with that said, I want to look at one more Bible passage which sheds a little light on how we do that. A reading from Psalm 126, verses 4 through 6. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Here ends the reading. I love the Psalms because they help us to pray through the deepest emotions of the human heart, and this Psalm in particular helps us see three things when it comes to our pain and our tears. It suggests that we should expect tears, plant our tears, and pray our tears. We expect our tears, we plant our tears, and we pray our tears. First, the Bible tells us to expect tears. A lot of Christians walk around with a myth that goes something like this, If I'm good, then God won't let anything bad happen to me. But the psalmist compares what his people are going through to the Negev, which was a lifeless desert. Now, who knows exactly what his people are going through, perhaps a plague or maybe a military defeat. But either way, what he's saying to God is that our life right now is like the driest of deserts. And so first, Christians should expect tears. In fact, to the extent that we grow in Christ, we'll actually cry more frequently. The prophet Ezekiel says that God takes hearts of stone and turns them into hearts of flesh. What that means is that as we grow our heart becomes more like God's heart, which is the softest and the most tender heart in the universe. You see, hearts of stone encounter evil and it just bounces right off. They feel contempt or anger towards the evildoer. But not people with hearts of flesh. They absorb the pain. They absorb the evil. They feel it deeply like God. And isn't this what Jesus did? Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And one thing we know about Jesus, he was always crying. His soul thundered in the face of sin and sickness and faithlessness that he encountered from his people. And so lesson number one, expect pain, expect tears. Not every day, not every season of life. This season of pain we're in right now, in time, it will run its course. But there will be days and there will be seasons of our life where weeping is par for the course. And when that happens, please know it is not because we've done anything wrong or because God has abandoned us. Now, to the extent that we know that, we can 
plant our tears when they come. Those who sow in tears, the psalmist says, will reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy. In other words, our tears need to be seen as an opportunity for growth. The image the psalm gives us is that of a farmer, and it's hard to tell exactly what's happening. Either the farmer is weeping on the soil, and his tears are supposed to be the seed, or the farmer has planted seeds, and he is watering those seeds with his tears. Either way, the point being made is the same. What this psalm is saying is that if our tears are planted in God, then in the end we will reap a harvest of joy. In other words, we will be more joyful, more loving, and more gracious than had we never wept in the first place. In and of themselves, tears will do us no good, but planted in God They yield a harvest of joy. Paul puts it like this, For we know that this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. What do tears planted in God do? Prepare us for an eternal weight of glory beyond anything we can measure. And if we know that, we can then pray our tears. We don't stuff them. We don't just vent them. No, we'll think deeply about what we're feeling, our anger, our fear, our disappointment, our failure, and we will pour it out before the Lord. We'll pour our pain into God's reality. But in order to do that, we first have to understand the reality of God. We have to know something about how great The grace of God is. This is something that Hannah understood. You see, Hannah had faith that the broken heart of one obscure little woman, whom the culture deemed a failure, mattered to God. She knew she wasn't useless. That's part of what's implied when the Bible says Hannah rose. She took a stand against her culture's nihilistic view that said she didn't matter, and she poured her soul into God's greatness and God's mercy because she knew that to God, she did matter. She mattered greatly. And so to pray our pain, the first thing we need to realize is this. It's safe. Our deepest, darkest emotions and fears can be expressed to God without shame We don't put before God what we think ought to be inside of us. We put before God what actually is inside of us, even if it's messy, especially if it's messy. But to do that, we have to know how great the grace of God is. Second, we have to pray our suffering with a vision of the cross. We have to know that the night before he died, Jesus said his soul was sorrowful even unto death. In other words, Jesus knows what it's like to cry out in pain and to hear nothing but silence. He understands, he knows, he experienced that for us. Finally, we can only pray our tears to the extent that we know the glory that awaits us. Like the psalm says, those who sow with tears 
will reap with songs of joy. The book of Revelation says that in the end, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. In fact, Psalm 56 says that even now God keeps our every tear in a bottle. Every tear matters to God. Every tear planted in God will eventually reap a great harvest of joy, a harvest much greater than had we never cried in the first place. Let us pray. Assist us mercifully, O Lord, in these our supplications and prayers, and dispose the way of thy servants towards the attainment of everlasting salvation, that among all the changes and chances of this mortal life we may ever be defended by thy gracious and ready help, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.